Welcome to Deleted Saves. On this episode, Ravenloft, Strahd's Possession on PC. Okay, dear listeners, just because I can't help myself, I am once again returning to the licensed tabletop game property well with another Dungeons & Dragons game. You thought I was done, didn't you? This is, however, the last time I will be returning to the Domain of Dread, the immortal nightmare that is Ravenloft, of 1994's Ravenloft, Strahd's Possession. Strahd's Possession is the prequel to the other Ravenloft game I reviewed, 1995 Stone Prophet, but has nothing to do with the abysmal mess that was Iron and Blood, Warriors of Ravenloft, which to the neophyte in this subject means nothing, I know. Trust me, go back and listen to those episodes. It will be a little clearer, at least. But instead of the desert land of Harakir, we are in a more western traditional scary setting, the darkly forested and land without sunlight named Barovia, a land of howls and shrieks from the shadowy woods, glowing eyes of hungry wolves intelligently watching your every step, and the mocking laughter of a monster living in a lightning-lit castle on the hill, ringing in your ears day and night. And all of it rendered in exactly the kind of dungeon crawl classic graphics 1994 could muster, by which I mean everything looks like a digital potato. But at least it's a potato with all the trimmings, so there is that. Games like this are not much of a step up from early Ultima or Wizardry or even Eye of the Beholder, which I have mentioned in other reviews. So the setup is pretty basic. Enter a blocky room, move forward, backward, left or right, click mouse on enemy until success. Watch numbers and meters go up and down. A good modern example would be something like Darkest Dungeon or Legend of Grimrock, both of which have been around long enough now to be showing their own age. The premise of this game is fairly simple. You create two characters of several fantasy races, elves, dwarves, gnomes, rip-off hobbits, and everyone's favorite fantasy race, humans, which we all know definitely don't exist, and start play with a negative 10 to common sense. You then combine this with a class or job, once common in most books available in the science fiction slash fantasy section of Barnes & Noble. Fighter, paladin, thief, wizard, priest, mob accountant, Tennessee lineman, soccer mom, surf rock hero, you get the idea by now. Interestingly enough, your characters, as you build them, are foretold by a fortune teller across modified tarot cards, a woman wearing enough headscarves and costume jewelry and questionable accents to make anyone of Romani descent run for their lawyers. What does this have to do with anything? Because Barovia is built very heavily upon the Dracula myth, mixed with a lot of misinformation for entertainment purposes around the former nation of Transylvania, now part of the larger nation of Romania, and the fact that its evil leader, Strahd, traffics with the dangerous and untrustworthy quote-unquote gypsies, who can help but mostly hinder travelers in the realm. This was based on the tabletop setting of the same name, and used a lot of this now racist iconography as part of its setting back when the larger population didn't see the term as such. And yes, we can say, yep, thems was dark times, and shake our heads at our ignorant past selves. But we also can't wash away that it happened, and that it was woven into the fabric of the product. So as my Polish grandmother used to say, Tufsky, Shitsky, we're moving forward. The characters you create work for the noble Lord Delt 
as his private adventurers. And when an assassin sneaks into the Lord's castle and attempts to kill him and successfully steals the, his necklace that is dedicated to a noble war god, he sends you two off to get it back. You track the killer down to a lonely glade, just as a fog rolls in, and a hand from the mist steals the necklace and all your shit. So you come to in an unfamiliar landscape with no weapons or armor and surrounded by hell beasts looking to munch on you. Good old early 90s game logic. Pretty soon, your remaining two party slots can be filled with a member of careful, careful characters of varying skill sets to augment your own. But you better fucking have a healer, because if you don't, you will not be getting far. These are second edition D&D rules, after all. Only for the hardcore basement dweller. I kid, of course. I started out playing in those basements around draconian, confusing wargaming rules for the nerd who secretly thinks that the Roman Empire had the right of it, and believes that he could have won the Battle of Waterloo if a battle-hardened despot who had already been dead 150 years by this point and spoke a completely different language natively had only listened to him. C'est la guerre, as they say. From there, you must traverse the land with little guidance other than half-remembered conversations and a map more gerrymandered than the average Mississippi election grid on a quest to get this damn necklace back because your characters are loyal to their liege lord, despite not knowing where they are or what's going on. Other than that they are awash in bandits, zombies, ghosts, and vampire brides. The locals are catatonic and unhelpful by design. The inventory space is limited, and there is nowhere to sell or buy goods because money does not exist, except in one very specific case. Any treasure you find means abandoning other treasure when it has uses ended, and staring at cleverly painted murals of skyboxes of the outdoors painted on the dungeon crawl walls is the order of the day. Really, other than the very, very grid-based maps of the building interiors, crypts, haunted churches, and such, the outdoors is just another dungeon, just with a day-night cycle and trees. Your characters must head to the village of Morovia, in the land of Barovia, and this will be your hub, but not a safe one. You can drop off gear and party members here, and advance the plot once you have collected the correct MacGuffins. Soon enough, in the plot, you will be introduced to your villain of the piece, Strahd von Zarovich, the lord of this land, who at first invites you to dinner, and is as slick as a greased weasel, and even hires you to do a job for him. This is mostly to test your skills and for his own amusement, with what with him being around at least four to five hundred years old now, and being bored. But since you are supposed to die and didn't, he now has to take you seriously. I wasn't kidding when I said there's a scattershot plot, since you mostly stumble into the next piece of it by accident and are often unprepared to do so or may miss critical areas of the map for progression if you aren't checking your own map, and making that up by making additional map notes on your own sort of graph paper. You then visit a few crypts, a cave under a river with an obvious and inescapable double cross that anyone but your characters can see coming, and eventually break in back into the castle of Strahd, known as Castle Ravenloft. Eh, see how it ties together? To confront the evil lord in his vampire form. Flee, get a magic potion from the Vistani, our gypsy's card 
stock cardboard inserts, visit a golden tree to get some magic juju shit, talk to a god for a few seconds, and learn that the very necklace you have been chasing this whole time is an amulet known as the holy symbol of Ravenkind. The only thing able to kill Strahd and disrupt the space-time continuum around his land long enough to allow your characters to leave. How it ended up in a dimension away is unrelated uh, to these lands here is a mystery only bad writing can answer. But here we are. Why ask questions? You are here to adventure, after all. And adventure, you do. You kill a mountain of walking corpses and critters straight out of the monster manual, each with its own archaic rules that work great in settings where you and three friends are rolling dice and eating pizza around the dining room table on a Saturday night while playing pretend, but not so much in a computer game. You will delve for treasure and come across a few interesting side quests, such as removing a werewolf's curse from a man trying not to be consumed by it, or helping a ghost get revenge for his family. But these are few and far between, as the main thrust of the game is finding the necklace Lord Delt had commanded you to get back, with each clue to the next part of the quest locked within a key and block puzzle dungeon more ridiculous and sometimes tedious than the last. Anyway, it all ends when you finally confront Strahd, listen to a Vinland monologue guaranteed to make Bela Lugosi do somersaults in his grave, and then click on his character model with your mouse until success. Yes, this is a mouse and keyboard game, with no controller support, because that didn't exist on PC much in 1994. But hey, who doesn't like carpal tunnel syndrome? Your party will succeed, probably after several reloads due to the game's honestly unfair RNG, and be released into the ending cutscene, where they flee back to their competing fantasy reality, wiser and more scarred for the experience. But without the amulet they came for. But they are home, so who cares? They won and can be imported to the sequel if you like. Ravenloft Strahd's Possession is absolutely the typical role-playing game in a dungeon crawler, where you collect experience and level up, but really cannot tell until you see more hit points and a few extra available spell slots open up. But it is, at its core, a horror game. Or at least a horror experience. Or tries to be. It's really more of a spirit Halloween horror experience, where you can see the zippers on the actor's suits and the vampire stumbles over his lines because of the fake teeth and the red food coloring around his lips. But again, we weren't seeing too much out of this genre of game in 1994, which wasn't just a copy-paste of similar titles, even its own licensed D&D titles. The developer and publisher, Dreamforge Entertainment and Strategic Simulations Incorporated, respectively, had been around in some cases since the late 1970s. And in a certain groove, they fit in simulation war games for personal computers, and were certainly not going to rock the boat. And with TSR willing to license D&D out to anyone just to make a buck or two, you can sure as shit bet they weren't going to say anything different. But it is in the time where SSI was stagnating, and it would soon be a thing of the past. And in truth, so was TSR, who buried itself under lawsuits and bad management, and would soon fall to and be incorporated into competitor Wizards of the Coast and their card game Magic the Gathering. Ravenloft, Strahd's Possession, was the first of a loose trilogy, 
including Stone Prophet and the poorly received and thematically unrelated Menzo Berenson, which would end up being one of SSI's last games. This isn't saying the developer didn't try to do something clever or fresh with this already tired by 1994 setting and trappings. They really did try to gin up the old horse of gothic horror and sell a world once familiar to the player and not. The included quests from ghosts and a wildly bizarre rescue of the soul of a priest into a magic mirror, putting the souls of two possessed statues to rest, and a few other bits and bobs before having the player confront the dynamic and smirking master vampire in his den, as all good vampire slayer movings do. For its time, the graphics are pretty damn good, but would be eclipsed within a year by its sequel. And again, if you didn't really know anything about how Dungeons & Dragons worked as a rule set, well then, fuck you, buddy. They weren't going to waste precious time by explaining it. Buy a player's handbook and start reading. But at the end of the questing day, this game is fairly by the numbers for its genre and type. The first iteration of the game upon release did not have voice work, but a later edition release, especially when CD-based games were becoming popular, had a whole set of voice cast members, each sounding like they were recorded in a gas station bathroom on fifty buck fifty burrito night. But it is leaps and bounds ahead of most anything else at the time. Critics of the time were pretty positive about the game, with PC Gamer US's T. Liam McDonald saying it was quote one of SSI's best AD&D-based releases, packaged with character, featuring just enough novelty, and being very nicely put together, end quote. Certainly sounds positive to me. However, other critics felt it failed to capture the true essence of the game, of despair and creeping doom. Which, yeah, it certainly misses the mark in the game full of screaming wooden standees wearing green face paint and clothes stolen off of a homeless man. But overall, it was a banner game for SSI, and it played pretty well, despite the erratic pathing issues and sometimes jerky nature of the movement scheme of this genre of RPG. But y'all didn't come to hear me read critics' reviews. You can get that anywhere. How did this stand out to me, and why did I decide to play it in the year of our Lord 2023? Well, I felt this was a hole in my catalog of D&D games, and somehow I'd gotten it for free in my oft-neglected GOG account, so I figured why not. Time has most definitely dimmed the star of this retro title, with other games from this time holding up better, others worse, but it is a title that deserves its love. It is a time capsule game, something from a specific place and specific time. That doesn't make it bad, just old and out of touch. Strahd's possession used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Y'all know to sing along with this tune by now. And even as Dungeons and Dragons itself has changed with the times to be more cinematic than wargaming, more little theater than thing you get drunk to while pretending to commit mass murder for profit with plastic dice, and it moved away from insular exclusion and racist tropes and towards more ideologically, idiosyncratically, gender, race, and face-neutral type of game, which, as it has been said, was the style at the time, and is the style currently. 
there are little time capsules like this that call back to a different version of the world's oldest role-playing game, whether you like that or not. Even the Rayloft setting of 2024 is different than was presented in this game. Gone are the tropes of Vistanius thieves and wandering cheats. Major NPCs have, been, have swapped genders to include a more diverse viewpoint, and Strahd is universally seen as just another big bully, an abusive boyfriend stereotype, rather than an ideal to, to aspire to. And believe me, I knew people who aspired to be this character in real life. To be defeated by clever culture warriors and min-maxers alike. A footnote upon the trail of adventure, rather than the point itself. The old ways die out for a reason, folks. Yet the mute testimony of 1994 slaps us across the face. It was 30 years ago now. But the statute of limitations on retro never expires. Ravenloft Strahd's possession was a cold case finally solved upon modern technology and with digital, diligent, practiced hands, ones that grew numb playing a fucking mouse and keyboard game. A visit from an old friend you haven't seen in decades, where you talk about jobs, kids, and wives, and goddammit, don't you just hate the grind? Remember when you rolled that 20 and slew the dragon after an all-night game session exploring the crumbling dungeon adventure module, and then we went to Denny's at 5 a.m. for coffee and pancakes? good times. Then you realize why you haven't talked to that old friend in decades when they start talking about their racist ideals, or the day they realize they need to get Jesus in their life and be saved. Uh, by the way, do you need insurance, or are you in the market for a timeshare? Yeah, it's that kind of game. Ravenloft, Strahd's possession, is certainly a reminder of the past, for good or for ill. It gave me a bit to reflect on how far we've come as gamers and a game industry, and how far we may yet go. It reminded me of old times, and how I kind of missed my old D&D group in an odd way. Not all of them, but most of them, sort of. I doubt they were much remember me. It was a simpler time, with less responsibilities and pressures and stuff. But I suppose... We all feel like that as time moves on and leaves us behind, like this style of game. It also reminds me that sometimes the past just needs to be in the past. It's something to think about. Thank you for listening. Deleted Saves would like to thank Brad, Keith Gasper, Orden Wells, and Mass Lama for being patrons of the show. If you would like to become a patron of the show, please go to patreon.com and check out Deleted Saves Podcast. All donations go directly towards maintaining the show itself. Thank you.